Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Tim. And uh, thank you all for coming out this afternoon. As uh, Tim was speaking, uh, a scripture came to my mind, something that Jesus said in the Gospels regarding the truth. And Jesus said that you can know the truth. And he said that the truth will set you free. And my intention this afternoon is simply to declare the truth of God's word, that it is trustworthy, it is believable. And even more than that, it can change hearts, it can change minds and uh, set you free. So uh, the topic, the title of my talk is Be Prepared. And it comes from a scripture in Peter, 1 Peter 3, where Peter said, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible because I love to be prepared to give an answer. I love it when there are people that are seeking spiritually, people that are burdened by the, the, the sin uh, of this world, the brokenness of this world. It's a messed up world that we live in. And people, people know that, people get that, and oftentimes are searching for answers. And we need, as Christians, we need to be prepared to give uh, answers to the questions that they have and do that with gentleness and respect. So my talk is entitled, Be Prepared. What sort of questions do we need to be prepared to answer? Here are just a few. Hasn't evolution proved the Bible wrong? And in Australian culture, in Western culture, this is a big uh, stronghold in people's minds, the assumption that evolution has proved the Bible wrong. The assumption that evolution is science, and if evolution is correct, then the Bible obviously cannot be correct. Don't fossils and dinosaurs prove evolution? Another very common question. I was blessed yesterday, really encouraged to spend some time with the students at Bayside Christian College. I spoke to the year fours, fives and sixes, uh, the sevens and eights and some parents and staff uh, about dinosaurs and fossils, explaining how uh, the Bible makes much better sense of the evidence. Where did Cain get his wife? Another very common question. Uh, if God is real, why is there death and suffering? And as Christians, we need to be prepared to answer questions like that. Now, what is at stake in this whole uh, controversy about creation versus evolution? What is at stake is, number one, the character of God. Is God good? David Attenborough, when he was interviewed, he said this one time uh, to the, uh, the person interviewing him. He said, when creationists talk about God creating, they always instance hummingbirds or orchids, sunflowers, and beautiful things. Reason he said that is because the person interviewing him said, you, know, you, you produce all these nature documentaries, you see the creation that God has made, why don't you acknowledge God? And so this is what he said. He said, you creationists are always talking about God, but the only examples you give are the nice things, the hummingbirds, the things that look beautiful. And he said, I tend to think instead of a parasitic worm that is boring through the eye of a boy sitting on the bank of a river in West Africa, a worm that's going to make him blind. That doesn't seem to me to coincide with a God who's full of mercy. Now, who agrees that that's a good question? That is a good question to ask. He, he's, he does these documentaries. He sees a child that is uh, being traumatized. He, he's suffering uh, in pain because of this, this worm in his eye. And he's saying, how can there be a God? And we'll get questions like that. And we have to be prepared to give an adequate answer. And we'll get to that as we go through this talk. Number two, what is at stake is the gospel message. So this is Frank Zindler. He's an atheist, and he points out that evolution completely destroys the gospel. And this is the reason. He says, if there never was an Adam and Eve, there never was an original sin. If there never was an original sin, there is no need of salvation. If there is no need of salvation, there is no need of a savior. And I submit that puts Jesus, historical or otherwise, into the ranks of the unemployed. I think that evolution is absolutely the death knell of Christianity. And he's right. If evolution is true, Christianity is completely undermined. Number three, what is at stake is the authority of Scripture. For example, how old is the universe? According to the Bible, we would say approximately 6,000 years, looking at the genealogies in Genesis chapter 5 and Luke chapter 3. The evolutionists tell us the universe is 13.8 billion years old. Is that compatible? Somebody's got to be wrong, okay? 
And if we look at it this way, here's a billions of years long timeline. Where do we find people on that timeline? At the beginning or the end? At the end. All right, we see the little figure there at the end of that timeline. But in the Bible, Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, Jesus said at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. So if that billions of years long timeline is accurate, then Jesus must have been wrong. Now, as Christians, we would say, of course, Jesus was not wrong. He is God. He cannot be wrong. And if Jesus said that mankind was there at the beginning of creation, that must be true. And I would, I would suggest that uh, that timeline, the evolutionary timeline, is incorrect. Here's another way to think of it. Genesis chapter 1. In this, um, in this verse, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And we see this cartoon of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And here's what happens if we try to add millions of years to the picture. We have Adam and Eve standing on a fossil graveyard talking about how good this creation is that God has made. Does that make sense? Doesn't make sense at all. Yeah, they're standing on a fossil graveyard. They would be standing on a fossil graveyard, which has evidence of cancer in those bones, in those fossils. There's evidence of arthritis. There are animals inside animals. It's a record of pain and suffering and carnivorous uh, activity. How can that be a very good paradise or a very good Garden of Eden? It does not fit with the Bible. But that's what happens when we try to add evolution or try to add millions of years to Scripture. The gospel, this is really the point of this message. The, you know, this, this graphic along the top sums up the message of the Bible in a nutshell. God is good. God created a perfect world in the beginning. It was very good. And it was only Adam's sin that resulted in death and suffering, uh, corruption of the plant kingdom, the animal kingdom, and so forth. And we live in a broken world. I'm sure we would all agree, irrespective of our belief systems, we would all agree that this is a broken, messed up world of death and suffering, uh, natural disasters, family breakup, all kinds of um, suffering that goes on in the world today. It's a messed up world. And what do you do if something is broken? Something breaks, what do you do? Fix it, right? And this is God's plan, is to fix his broken creation. It was perfect in the beginning, but there is a grand plan, a rescue, a grand rescue, you can call it, where God is rescuing people from the kingdom of darkness and bringing them to the kingdom of light, uh, the kingdom of his son, and the cross is key to that. I'll explain more about that uh, as we go on. The ultimate goal, the ultimate plan is that God will restore this broken planet, this broken world. He will restore it to the way that it was in the beginning. It'll be like the Garden of Eden all over again. But right now, we're stuck in the middle in a broken world. Now, if the foundation of that message is wrong, how can you trust the rest of Scripture? Yeah, there are churches, there are professing Christians who don't like to talk about these issues. They will say, we don't really want to talk about Genesis. They won't even have a creation speaker come and share what the Bible says about creation because they think it's too controversial. They think you can somehow join evolution with the Bible. But if that foundation is wrong, if it was not a perfect world, but in fact, if it was millions of years of death and suffering and evolution, can you trust Genesis? Would you be able to trust Genesis if evolution was true? Of course not. And if Genesis can't be trusted, why would you even trust the rest of Scripture? Number four, what is at stake is the basis for right and wrong. Why is abortion wrong? Now, as Christians, we would say abortion is wrong. It's wrong to kill babies because babies are created in the image of God. But if evolution is true, then what is a baby? It's just one branch of an evolutionary tree. We have the, the, that worm that uh, David Attenborough was talking about is one branch. A pig might be another branch. A baby might be another branch. And there's no real basis for arguing that it's wrong to kill babies. Uh, what's wrong with gay marriage? Yeah, if we evolved... And if we invented this institution that we call marriage, if we made that up, then of course we can redefine it. We can make marriage anything we want it to be. Whereas if God created marriage, then God owns marriage. He alone has a right to define what it is. The new heavens and earth is at stake as well. Look at the graphic. If the beginning was actually millions of years of death and suffering, what do we have to look forward to in the future? Because Genesis and Revelation dovetail. What was in the beginning is what will be there at the end. A perfect world again. 
But if the beginning was not a perfect world and it was actually evolution over millions of years and death and suffering and so forth, then what does the book of Revelation mean? We're returning to that. It would basically be broken world all the way through and no hope. Right? But this graphic, this message of the Bible puts our present world in its proper context. It is a broken world. God is actually good. He didn't make the world the way it is today. If God made the world the way it is today, what would that say about God? His character. What do you think? Would he be a good God if God created a world of cancer and death and suffering? Of course not. So we need to defend, as Christians, we want to defend the character of God. He is good, made a perfect world. It was Adam's sin that resulted in death and suffering. Now, over half of all Australians say that science and evolution is an issue that blocks their interest in Christianity. When you talk to people that you're praying for, you want them to come to know who Jesus really is, one of the, the biggest obstacles is that they assume that evolution is true. They assume that science is on the side of evolution, right? And it, in fact, it isn't, but it is a stumbling block. And as Christians, we need to be prepared to explain why science backs up our biblical worldview rather than evolution. Another very alarming statistic, 70% of 18 to 35-year-old Australian Christians grew up Christian but are no longer affiliated or rarely ever attend church. That is a huge dropout rate. This is why so many churches, they're, they're withering, they're, they're diminished, they're, they're withering away because young people are leaving, uh, they've been fed with this indoctrination that evolution has proved the Bible wrong, you can't really trust Genesis, why bother trusting the rest of it? Some people say, I don't believe in miracles, I believe in science, another common objection. You know, the thought for an atheist, for, for somebody from uh, a background that, that wants to just follow what the science says, there's a common argument that says, I don't believe in miracles. You know, for me to believe in the Bible, that would require that I believe in the supernatural. I believe in miracles. And I don't want to believe in miracles. I want to believe in hard science. Just give me the facts. How do we respond to that? Well, the fact is everybody has to believe in miracles. It doesn't matter whether you're an atheist or a Christian or whatever. Every person believes in miracles. Here are just a few examples. The Big Bang. Right, that is a miracle. If that happened, that is a miracle. How does nothing explode? Can anybody explain that? You know, I've asked atheists at our markets outreach. You know, they, they, sometimes we, we meet them. They're very rare, but I have met some. They'll come in and they'll say, you know, I don't believe all this stuff. This is just miraculous stuff. So I say, well, what do you believe? And let them explain what they believe. And they talk about the Big Bang. And I ask them, how does it happen? How does nothing explode? And they start to talk about the, the, the Big Bang itself and the formation of stars and things, but they can't explain how this even gets off the starting block. How does nothing explode? That is a miracle. And this is the only other option. If you reject God and reject creation, this is pretty much the only other option. So how does nothing explode? Right, that's miracle number one. Miracle number two is the formation of stars. When something explodes, what happens? The particles fly apart, don't they? There's an explosion, and everything flies apart from a central point. Now, to get stars and galaxies and planets, the explosion has to stop. So how does that happen? How does nothing explode, and then all the particles stop and turn around and come together to form galaxies and suns and planets? How does that happen? Because explosions don't do that. We've all seen explosions, right? Things fly apart. So, and scientists know that. And so what have they done? They've invented concepts like dark matter and dark energy to try to explain why the explosion of the Big Bang stopped and we have the formation of galaxies and so forth. So that's miracle number two. Miracle number three, even if those first two miracles could have happened, miracle number three is the origin of life. Right? Have we all seen, let's use mud as an example. Right? We all know what mud is. Now, how does mud come alive? If you could even get a planet somewhere with mud and water, which came from nothing, according to their belief system, how does it even come alive? That's miracle number three. Number four, the diversity of life. Even if mud and crystals and whatever could come alive, how does it turn into every living organism that we know about? How does that even happen? There's no mechanism, no explanation for how that could happen. 
And the fact that we're having a creation seminar where we're using our minds to weigh evidence and things like that, is that just random chemical processes in our brain? Or do we actually have a spirit? Do we have intelligence? Do we have a mind? Where does mind come from? What is our mind? Yeah, can you quantify it? Is it a chemical? What is it? Is it chemical reactions? But it's real, because we can think. So where does that come from? Where does morality come from? Where does our conscience come from? We all know what's right and wrong. Where does that come from? Is it just chemicals? So whether you believe in creation or you believe in evolution, you have to believe in miracles. The only difference is you just have to choose which ones you're prepared to believe in. I would rather believe in miracles where there is an adequate cause, who is Almighty God. The miracles that evolutionists have to believe in has no adequate cause. It's just magic, isn't it? What do you, what do you call a miracle where there's no adequate cause? It's just magic. Right? And I don't believe in magic. You know, I, I think we have an intelligent faith based on evidence, based on the Word of God. We have an Almighty God who is able to perform uh, these miracles and to uh, uh, enact this rescue mission to rescue us out of this world. So what we're going to do this afternoon is build our thinking on God's Word for a, for a start. And as we do that, we're going to anticipate questions that people may have. And how would we answer, how, how can we be prepared to answer those questions? So Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, and God created man in his own image. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. So these are some examples of uh, things that God created, the kinds of things that David Attenborough was complaining about, that Christians will show these sort of things because they're cute, but... We want, you know, he wants us to show the blood and the gore and the death and the suffering because he's, he's using that as an excuse to rail against God. And so if he was here today, he would say, you know, stop showing the cute things, show some blood and explain that, Christian. <laughs> Why, how can you justify the existence of God when there's death and bloodshed? But let's keep going. Beginning with the Bible, God created everything. It was very good. The beasts of the earth were all very good as well. And in fact, God gave them green plants for food. Every creature God created was plant eating. There was no bloodshed. They all had a vegetarian diet in the beginning. And that includes lions. What would you say to somebody who, who, who says to you, your Bible says God gave plants to all the creatures, and yet we have lions, we have tigers, how can these creatures be possibly plant-eating? How can we be prepared to answer that? I've used Creation Magazine many times, articles in Creation Magazine, such as this one, uh, a zoo in Thailand, where they raised tigers and pigs in the same enclosure, and they found that the tigers and the pigs were perfectly at peace with each other. The tiger had no inclination to eat the pigs. They were nursed together, they were raised together, and lived in perfect harmony. Just a glimpse into the way things would have been in the beginning in the Garden of Eden with the original cat kind. There was uh, another article in Creation Magazine uh, concerning Kenya, big game preserve in Kenya, where a lioness was observed to adopt a baby antelope. And of course, we know lions don't normally do this. You know, lions normally eat antelopes and zebras and things like that. But this one was observed to adopt a baby antelope and look after it and provide for it and protect it and uh, amazing glimpse into uh, the original creation. Sharks even can be vegetarian. This uh, shark, a nurse shark, carnivorous shark, was, um, uh, it was discovered by fishermen, it was caught, it, it, they found a, a rusty fish hook in its jaw. That fish hook was removed and the shark was donated to an aquarium in England and they found that the shark refused to eat fish. All it would eat was plant matter, vegetables, lettuce, and things like that. Literally, it had become a vegetarian shark. We have things like piranhas. Even piranhas can be plant-eating. There is still a species called the paku, which is uh, a, a vegetarian form. Yeah, well, piranhas themselves are not necessarily carnivorous. They're omnivorous. They can eat either plants or animals. But there is one uh, variation, the paku, which is just a plant-eating piranha. So it shows us, you know, these examples, these, these present-day examples show us that big cats Sharks, piranhas, you name it, they can all be perfectly plant-eating and not cause death and bloodshed. So a quick quiz. If you were digging in your backyard and you discovered a, a skull like this, would you say that's a meat-eater or a plant-eater? So I want to ask for a show of hands. 
Who was here yesterday? Some of you, a couple of you maybe. So you probably know some of the answers, but would you say, who says that looks like a meat eater? Yep. Who says plant eater? All right. Now, the reason we, we sometimes assume meat eater is because of the teeth. We see the fangs. And yet, this is the skull of a panda. And the point is that just because a creature has sharp teeth and claws, we don't have to jump to the conclusion that it is a meat eater designed to kill. Right? That was just a panda. And we can go through further examples. Meat eater or plant eater? Who says meat eater? Who says plant eater? <laughs> so it's a camel, all right? It's just uh, it's a herbivorous animal. This one, meat eater or plant eater? It's got the fangs, it has the teeth, and it's just a fruit bat. So you know, when people say David Attenborough or people like him accuse us of having a God who designs animals to kill with teeth and claws and things like that, we can reference animals like this and say, look, sharp teeth are just sharp teeth. The claws are just claws. You can use them for slicing into fruit or meat. Same thing with T-Rex, right? The dinosaurs that were there in the beginning that God created, it's just sharp teeth. It doesn't have to be a carnivore, right? We can put this in the same category as the lion that never ate meat, the fruit bat, etc. So maybe it's time to reimagine the T-Rex in the beginning because God said to all the beasts of the earth, I give every green plant for food. So all of creation was very good in the beginning, including the dinosaurs, but God's creation did not remain very good for long. God said, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And, of course, Adam and Eve, we know from Genesis, they did partake of that fruit. They used their free will to exercise their rebellion against God, to go their own way. And sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. Notice, death came as a result of Adam's sin. It had not been happening for billions of years. So everything was corrupted. And we see that in the world we live in. In the plant kingdom, roses, still beautiful, but they have thorns. We see uh, the big cats killing, eating other creatures. Right? And it is a broken world that we live in. The animal kingdom has been corrupted. Even uh, modern day examples like these finches. They used to eat berries. This is on the Galapagos Islands. Finches that would eat berries because of droughts and, and conditions like that. Their food supply ran out, and these finches were observed to change their diet. They became carnivorous. They were herbivores, and when the food supply ran out, they began to eat other birds. And that bird on the right-hand side is being eaten alive. It has nowhere to go. It's sitting on the island, can't fly anywhere and it's being eaten alive by what is now known as the vampire finch. So sharp teeth are just sharp teeth. They can be repurposed. They can be used for various um, uh, purposes. Same thing with the dinosaurs. You know, the T-Rex would have become a carnivore, I would imagine. Uh, horns on the Triceratops, for example, would have been repurposed. Originally, what could they have been used for? Maybe for like a forklift, you know, lifting branches, accessing fruit, that kind of a thing. After Adam sinned, and the animal kingdom was corrupted, maybe defense mechanisms against predators and things like that. But it's just sharp claws and, and teeth and so forth. So the plant kingdom was corrupted, the animal kingdom was corrupted, and mankind, sadly, was corrupted as well. When Adam sinned, it says the wages of sin is death. They became separated from God. Death in the Bible means separation from God. Adam and Eve, they were in close friendship with God in the Garden of Eden. When Adam sinned, they became separated. Uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. King David said, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And you know what? This is, this is super important. Nobody is going to know that they need to be saved unless they understand that they are lost. How is it that a baby from conception can be called sinful when the baby hasn't even done anything? It's about your position when you are born into this world, even before that, from conception, you are, you are created in Adam. And because Adam was separated from God, we are in his image and we are born separated from God. And we, are, we need to be reconciled to him. We need to be saved. So our, uh, our friends uh, that are skeptics, our friends that are atheists or just questioning what we believe, if they say things like, what about fossils? 
Well, don't fossils prove evolution? What can we say? How can we be prepared? Notice in the diagram, in the, in the cartoon, we have a creationist and an evolutionist in a tug of war over a fossil. And we need to understand that the evidence is actually all the same. It's not about we as Christians gathering evidence for our side on creation versus the evolutionists gathering evidence on their side. The evidence is actually the same. Science is science. Same fossils, same rock layers, same stars, same everything. But the evidence has to be interpreted in the context of your worldview. So they are arguing about the same fossil. Now, as Christians, we can point to soft tissue fossils. Soft tissue fossils, there are two kinds. There are some that are simply skin impressions upon rock, but there are other kinds of soft tissue fossils that are literally soft, literally soft tissue. And so we have T-Rex uh, blood cells, blood vessels, flexible ligaments discovered in a T-Rex femur found in, in Montana. They sliced it open, and they, that's what they found inside. This is a photo from a microscope of what they found inside dinosaur bone. It should not exist if it was 65 million years old or longer. It shouldn't exist, and yet that is what we find in dinosaur bones. We have a triceratops horn discovered in the same location in Montana that was sliced open, analyzed, and I've seen this is a still shot. I, I took a screenshot of the video from the microscope. Stretchable, soft tissue. The tweezers on the right were actually stretching that flesh, and you can uh, watch this on YouTube and, and various uh, sites. Literally, Triceratops soft tissue. It shouldn't exist if it was really 65 million years old or longer. And the man who uh, discovered that, Dr. Mark Armitage, is a Christian. And he pointed out to his colleagues at this university, California State University, he pointed out that the evidence is consistent with a biblical worldview and a young earth, and he lost his job. He was fired. He lost his job over it, ended up having to sue the university. This is one of my pictures uh, that I drew. I don't know if, if uh, Pastor Tim mentioned I'm an artist. So if you haven't seen these, maybe as you walked in, you saw the, the large uh, pictures. Uh, I draw pictures of uh, soft tissue fossils. When I, discuss, when I read about things like T-Rex blood cells or the Triceratops soft tissue or dragon legends, I like to draw pictures of it. And then when people ask about the picture, I can tell the story uh, about the fossils or the dragon legend and lead to the gospel. Uh, it's just a form of uh, creation evangelism. Aside from fossils, we have things like rock layers. Now, how old are these rock layers? Looking at the pictures, we're conditioned to look at photos like that, and we are conditioned to immediately think of millions of years. And yet, if the fossils, if the, uh, the rock layers took millions of years to form, you would expect erosion. You would expect weathering. You would expect the first layer, the bottom layer, for example, to experience uh, flooding and rain and all kinds of weathering events. Uh, cracks and crevices and, and creeks cut through and so forth. The next layer would fill in that bumpy landscape. Does that make sense? And then the one after that, again, would be eroded and so forth, and you would end up with a zigzag kind of a formation. And yet what we see is smooth bands of rock, which would indicate a massive global catastrophe, which is consistent with the flood described in Genesis 6 through 9. And... Um, in the middle picture, the Swiss Alps, why, why do we have these S-shaped formations? That would have happened while the rock layers were still soft. If that happened afterwards and these things took millions of years to form, you would find, I mean, it wouldn't happen. They'd be cracked. And you'd find these smooth, curvy bands of rock, which again indicate a global catastrophe. This is Carlisle Cathedral. Anybody familiar with that? Have we seen this before? Carlisle Cathedral in England. They have, uh, there's a tomb in there, Bishop Bell's tomb, which has animals carved into the brasswork all around the edge. It has dogs and pigs and birds and so forth, and it has these creatures. Now, skeptics, I've had uh, discussions with skeptics about this, atheists, who try to argue that this is actually a camel. Does that look like a camel to you? What is it? Long neck, long tail, sauropod dinosaur, you would think. And I think it's a reasonable assumption that if people depicted real animals like dogs and pigs and birds and so forth, including this, it's all in the same context, isn't it reasonable to assume that they saw these things? So I drew the picture there of the cathedral with the live ones 
You know, and people ask, why would you draw dinosaurs with a building in the background? We don't see things like that. And so when they ask that, we can explain, well, this is the reason. This is Bishop Bell's tomb, actually has dinosaurs carved into the brasswork. How did they know that 500 years ago, before fossils were even discovered? Yet there it is. And uh, down the back, when you look at the resources on the tables uh, down the back, we have a book called Die Dragons, which has plenty of examples like this. Carvings, tapestries, clay work, pottery, things like that. Dragon legends uh, from all over the world. Uh, some other books on the display table as well. Make sure you check those out um, this, this afternoon. Now, people like Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, uh, and so forth, they might say things like, but evolution is science. You can't, you can't deny science. You know, to believe the Bible means to deny what science teaches us. We need to be perfectly clear on the difference between natural selection and evolution. Again, getting back to our scripture verse, 1 Peter 3, Peter said, always be prepared to give an answer. One way to be prepared is to be able to tell the difference between natural selection and evolution. Natural selection is fact. It happens. Evolution is a myth. And here's how that works. Natural selection comes under the banner of operational science, things that are observable, testable, and repeatable in the present. We see natural selection. What does it mean? Natural selection means, figuratively speaking, nature selects. All right? So in an environment, nature, a really hot environment, nature might select some creatures for survival, some for extinction, and we lose genes. All right? We observe that in the present. The concept of evolution is origins science. It's about the past. We can't travel backwards in time and do experiments and test whether this happened. It's a belief system. Here's an illustration. If we, had, uh, if we were breeding dogs, does anybody here have any dogs at home? Yep. So if you're breeding dogs, and dog breeders know this, you can reshuffle the genes. If you start with, with parent genes, a male and female, you can breed dogs. And if you start with something like a, a wolf kind, something similar to this, and you end up with dogs that have short hair and long hair, if you put them in this environment, the Australian outback, how does natural selection work? How does nature, what is nature going to select, so to speak, for survival? Long hair or short hair in the outback? It's going to be short hair, isn't it? And what happens to long-haired dogs? They would tend to die out. And so we lose genes for long hair. The short-haired dogs that remain reproduce using those same genes, and we overall end up with short-haired dogs. So that's natural selection. It's simple to understand. We lose genes. Natural selection is information loss. Now, evolution is the opposite. To start with slime or primordial soup or whatever that is down the bottom and have everything come from it, that requires information gain. Where do we get genetic information for skin and eyes and ears and lungs and feathers and you name it? Where does that come from? Because it's not in the mud. It's not in the, the soil, it's not in primordial soup. The information has to come from somewhere. The design has to come from somewhere. Where does it come from? Natural selection doesn't explain it. Natural selection is the opposite, it's information loss. Where do we get information gain? So I've illustrated it with, with two arrows, right? Natural selection, information loss, downward arrow. Evolution is the opposite. Where does the information gain actually come from? So if we apply those definitions to the Australian curriculum, I was uh, sharing this with the staff at Bayside yesterday. This is one of the descriptors in the Australian curriculum uh, in the high school, about year 10. It says, the theory of evolution by natural selection explains the diversity of living things and is supported by a range of scientific evidence. When you read that, it kind of looks like it makes sense. It looks like it's couched in, in scientific language, and that is what is taught to students at school. But let's apply the definitions we just learned. Instead of um, evolution, we can say it's a theory of information gain. That's what evolution assumes. All right? The theory of information gain by natural selection. What was natural selection again? Information loss. So this is what they're saying. The theory of information gain by information loss explains the diversity of living things and is supported by a range of scientific evidence. Does that make sense? It's totally illogical, totally unscientific. And Darwin 
understood that. Darwin understood natural selection. He knew it doesn't produce information. He understood mutations. But he was confident that the, the scientific world would discover a biological mechanism that could explain how information can be gained. Because he thought mud must have turned into everything. Somehow, we'll discover it. And what is it now? 2024. They've still got nothing. Yeah, and they meet, uh, scientists meet... Um, in London, at the Royal Society, every year. This is on their agenda. Have we come up with anything? Do we know anything? How did this happen? And year after year, they've come up with nothing. All they've got is natural selection and mutations. And so they, they kind of do a switch and bait tactic. They'll say evolution is true, but give you natural selection as an example. And people get duped by that. Some years ago, somebody gave me a newspaper clipping, elephant-sized dinosaur breathed like a bird. Have we all heard this theory that dinosaurs evolved into birds? Personally, I think that dinosaurs are extinct. I think that makes much more sense. They're, they're, they're dead. Right, simple. Dinosaurs are dead. They're extinct. But evolutionists say, no, they're not. They just simply evolved into birds over millions of years. Right? So T-Rex is in the trees, chirping at you. That look at the birds outside, they're actually dinosaurs, is what they say. They didn't go extinct, they just evolved over millions of years. So we've got three scientists here in the newspaper clipping uh, claiming that this elephant-sized dinosaur breathed like a bird. How would they tell looking at just a, a skeleton? And it's a reptile. Yeah, the, the, the breathing system's totally different from the avian breathing system. But I said to my friend, look at the, um, the other side. Can you see the connection? On the other side, on the left, we have schools, more of a jungle, and the article talks about schools uh, around the Brisbane area where suspensions and expulsions are out of control, there's chaos in the classroom, uh, all kinds of behavior problems. And I said to my friend, there's a connection. You know, ideas have consequences. What's going to happen if you tell generation after generation that you're just an animal? You know, you're just an animal. There's no God, there's no right or wrong, you're just an animal. You know? Um, I was watching Play School years ago with my kids when they were little. And on Play School, of all places, the guy, the couple that runs Play School, I forget their names now, they had this little squishy toy and they dragged it from a, you know, a toy ocean up into sand. And they're explaining to toddlers how evolution works, how you know, millions of years ago, creatures crawled out of the ocean. And then on land, they evolved into all the different animals we see around us. This is Play School level. So ideas have consequences. If you teach kids that they're just animals, we shouldn't be surprised with how sometimes uh, they may behave. Now, mutations, you know, that people might say mutations can add information, but really mutations, can you see any new information there? It's a mutant snake. Is there anything new? There's an extra head, but it's not feathers. It's not new information. It's a, a mutated form of information that was already there. You might sometimes find a, a cow with extra legs. Is there anything new? There's no new information for feathers or for wings or whatever. It's just extra unnecessary duplication of what's already there because of mutations. Now, does that mean mutations are always bad? Not at all. Mutations can be beneficial. For example, on the Galapagos Islands that I mentioned before, there are beetles that have uh, a variation in the size of their wings. Some have big wings, some have small wings. What happens when the weather is really windy? What would you rather have, big wings or small wings, if it's really windy on an island? What would you prefer if you were a beetle? <laughs> you would want little wings, so the wind doesn't catch you like a parachute and you know, take you off to sea. And so uh, a mutation that makes your wings smaller can actually be a good thing. But it's not new information, is it? They're just beetles. Right? Beetles can have different sized wings. Birds can have different sized beaks. They're still birds. They're still beetles. There's no new information. So what do you do when something's broken? Right? We fix it. And this is God's grand plan. According to the Bible, God is good. He made a perfect world. Sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. God's solution, he came into this world. God became flesh. This is the beauty of the gospel. Can you imagine the creator of the universe? Think of how big this universe is, the stars. You know, we can't even see how big the universe is. It is just it's mind-boggling. And yet the creator who created everything decided to come into this broken creation, this tiny blue dot 
You ever see those photos of a tiny blue dot of the solar system and, and the earth? He came. The Creator came and took on human flesh and showed us how to live and went to the cross and bore the punishment, the penalty for our sin, for the sins of the entire world. Because the first Adam, this is why Jesus is called the last Adam, the first Adam brought death into the world. The last Adam conquered death on the cross. He died in our place and he rose again. And the Bible says one day he will return to restore the world to the way that it was in the beginning. Again, this message breaks down if death was normal for millions of years. Now, what will the new heaven and new earth look like in the future when Jesus returns? What's it going to look like? Isaiah 11 tells us the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Right? And our atheist friends, Richard Dawkins and so forth, they like verses like this because they think it makes us look foolish as Christians. They say, look at what your Bible says. We all know lions don't eat straw like an ox. Right? It's ridiculous. How do we answer? How can we be prepared to answer? Again, Creation Magazine is a, a great resource because they have articles like this in the magazine, The Lion That Never Ate Meat. Right, so who, who's heard of this lion before? Anyone? Some of you might have. I don't know you guys have. This, this, uh, there was a lion, a lioness that gave birth to eight cubs. And this, this lioness went crazy. Uh, it had some kind of a, um, a disease. And it began to eat its own cubs one by one. And one of them was rescued. And it was donated to a family that owned a farm in the States. And they raised this, this uh, lion cub. And they found that it never ate meat. And if you look closely at the photos, you can see a little kitten. Look at the photo on the left. That little kitten is playing with the lion and is not experiencing any fear because it knows, it understands that the lion is harmless. It's a vegetarian lion. It's playing with little chicken nuggets on the right-hand side. Right? And they're not nuggets, are they? They're just live chickens. It's playing with them. There's no fear. It's drinking milk. It ate fruit all its life. There it is with the, the lamb. This lady's husband had an idea to try putting one drop of blood into its milk bowl to see if it would drink the milk, and it refused to drink the milk. They took it to a, a butcher and tried to uh, get the butcher to convince the lion to eat meat, and it refused. So we can tell our atheist friends, remember 1 Peter 3, be prepared to give an answer, do it with gentleness and respect. Here's a great answer. We can say this kind of thing is rare, but it does happen from time to time. You can have a vegetarian lion, and uh, the creation magazines are full of articles like this. Sharks, piranhas, lions, and so forth. Revelation 21, the Apostle John said that he saw a new heaven and a new earth. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. No longer will there be any curse. So that's how it ends up. Everything gets restored to the way that it was in the beginning. Right now, in the present, we are stuck in a broken world and we have people to reach with the gospel. Just returning quickly to David Attenborough with his complaint about the parasite, that, that parasitic worm boring into the eye of a child. Remember that quote at the beginning where he said, you know, how can there be a God? You believe in a God when there's this parasite that is uh, you know, destroying the eyes of these children. That doesn't sound like a God who is full of mercy. How do we answer such questions? Let's hold people accountable to their worldview. So anytime an atheist or somebody who's, who's questioning our Bible says, how can there be a God when there's all this death and suffering and tragedy going on? Hold them accountable to their worldview. What is David Attenborough's worldview? It's that evolution tree that I showed you before. Remember that, the slime and the evolving into everything? That is his worldview. So when he references a boy and a worm, that's just different branches on the evolutionary tree, isn't it? Does he have any way of arguing that the boy is of more value than the worm? They're just random branches on a random evolutionary tree. He's actually stealing morality from our worldview to complain about our God. 
So let's hold him and others consistent to their own worldview. They have nothing to complain about because in their worldview, can I just sum up their view, their, their worldview? It's like this, stuff happens. That's it. That's all they've got. Stuff happens. It's all random. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. Stuff just happens. So they have no right to complain about any kind of tragedy. Stuff just happens. If they do complain, challenge them. Ask them, why is it wrong? Why, what's wrong with this? Maybe the worm should evolve and, and be superior over the, the boy. What's wrong with it? Stuff just happens. Hold them accountable to their own worldview. So who cares? <laughs> right? In their worldview, who cares? Stuff just happens. So always be prepared to give an answer. Here are three ways. I want to leave you with this. Number one, creation.com. Uh, if anybody asks you a question and you're not sure what the answer is, get on creation.com. There's a search box up the top. Uh, the most common questions are answered. Uh, I have a shortcut to this on my phone. So when we're doing our markets outreach and I get people asking questions, if it's something I haven't heard of, I just do a quick search and there it is. You've got articles to explain, uh, to give answers to the, the questions that people have. Um, there's a free email newsletter that will link you with the website. Um, there's a form here, I think it's on the back table. Make sure you see Henny and Belinda over here. You can put down your email on, this, uh, on the form and get these emails every couple of weeks, every three weeks. They will link you to the latest articles, uh, things that touch on events in the news, uh, events in your area, articles and so forth, things that you can share. Uh, sign up for um, the email. There are some bookmarks. You can use your phone, use the QR code and uh, do the same thing. Number two, Creation Magazine. If you are not subscribed to Creation Magazine, please subscribe. Consider a subscription because really the things I've been presenting this afternoon, I'm, I'm just telling the stories from this magazine. That's all I'm doing is reading the magazine, sharing the stories, and using it as a, a launching pad, a vehicle to get to the gospel. So with the Creation Magazine, what we're doing is we're demolishing strongholds. 2 Corinthians 10, Paul said, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Right? The, the, our atheist friends, they will talk about dinosaurs. Well, let's take captive that thought. Let's demolish that stronghold. They talk about fossils. Let's show how fossils actually look young and support a biblical worldview. Right? Let's use the evidence. Somebody gave this testimony. He said, I was converted when someone gave me a creation magazine. Then I subscribed for five of my relatives. Four of them have now come to the Lord. Right? These are people going from an atheistic worldview to becoming a Christian because the truth has set them free. You guys make evangelism easy. I just give a creation magazine to somebody, and then the next time I see them, we talk about it. Uh, here's one illustration. This is a man I baptized some years ago who was an, uh, an ardent atheist. Uh, he would scoff at the Bible. He didn't believe in God. He thought that evolution had proved the Bible wrong and so forth. As soon as he understood the difference between natural selection and evolution, guess what happened to his worldview? Just came crumbling down. And this is his baptism. He went from being an atheist to being a born-again Christian because the truth set him free. So with Creation Magazine, you get four issues a year, and uh, you also get a digital version, which is accessible on up to five devices. So when you subscribe, you get the hard copy magazine, but you can email a link to five other people, other devices, and people can read the magazine on their phone or on a tablet or iPad and so forth. With uh, the magazine, you get a, a section for children. So if you, if you have family, young children, there's a creation for kids in every magazine. With a one-year subscription, you get a free back issue of Creation Magazine. Same thing with a, a three-year subscription, but you also get a $15 voucher. So again, I want to encourage you uh, this afternoon, check out the resources table down the back, and if you go for the three-year subscription, you get $15 to spend on any other uh, resource that's on the tables. So this is what the form looks like. Again, see Henny and Belinda. They have a few forms there you can fill out uh, before you go. And I'm also giving away some of my artwork. So this is just a, a personal encouragement. If anybody is not subscribed to the magazine and you subscribe today, then you're welcome to take a free print of one of my uh, dinosaur drawings. If you're on Facebook, you can look it up as well. There's a website, Dinosaurs of Eden. Uh, the dinosaursofeden.com website is basically a presentation on dinosaurs and how the evidence fits the Bible 
and it really doesn't fit very well at all with the theory of evolution. So make sure you look those up as well. So number three, of course, is the resources table. Make sure you check that out. So again, Creation Ministries, what I'm doing this afternoon over this weekend uh, as a representative for CMI is we're feeding into the church. Creation Ministries feeds into local churches and then we hand it over to you. We make the resources available, but you're the ones that have the contacts in your workplace, uh, families, neighbors, etc. We basically say, here are the resources. If you want to engage in this kind of evangelism and get the conversations happening where people are talking about, is there really a God? And we're prepared to answer questions. Um, it's over to you with these resources. Markets outreach. This is what we do in Gladstone is we set up a stall at the, the local markets. We've actually done this uh, now in Calliope. Uh, and we set up these visuals, you know, the, the big signage, uh, you see it down the back as well, the tables, the resources and under a big gazebo. And when we set this up, we find people just come in. You know, years ago, we had an outreach where we were just handing out tracts and it wasn't having that much of an impact. But with this, people actually come in voluntarily. They, they want to find out what is this all about. So consider uh, a markets outreach. We always encourage uh, churches to do that. So here are a few photos of uh, people walking into our stall and having a look. Uh, we use the visuals like this, like things I've shared uh, this afternoon, again, to just get people thinking about how old is the earth really? When did death actually come into this creation? And we lay the foundation for sharing the gospel. Yeah, this is a guy even taking photos. Uh, yeah, people do that from time to time. You see people... They don't necessarily want to talk, but they'll take photos because they want to read this stuff later. And it's, it arouses curiosity. It's a great way to get people engaged in um, the whole discussion. Look at this boy. He was staying there for ages just reading things that were so different to what he learns at school. A whole new way of thinking about dinosaurs. An exciting way to think about dinosaurs. When I was a kid, I was really disappointed. I had dinosaur books that said dinosaurs lived millions of years ago. And I thought, ripped off. Yeah, I wish we could see dinosaurs today. I want to, you know, touch them and ride them and all. Yeah, that's, that's how kids think. And, uh, you know, the truth is people did coexist with dinosaurs, and we have so much evidence to back that up. The Answers book, there are still a few left uh, on the table down there. Make sure you grab one of those uh, before you go. Again, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Consider buying into this, becoming a part of this form of outreach? Will you help share this message? So I'm going to leave you with those three things. Number one, get your email address down on the form so you get the, the free email newsletter. Number two, sign up for Creation Magazine, get a free back issue, get a free uh, art print. And number three, make sure you check out the resources table uh, down the back before you go and hang around for some fellowship and there's some food down the back, some snacks. And I might hand over to... Um, Pastor Tim. Thank you, Tim.